Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, January 15, 2023. It focuses on God's adoption of believers and their subsequent zeal for life with Him. The message to all who will listen is God has brought us into His family to serve Him and the world. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Let's pray together. God, thank you for, for Paul and that you inspired him to write down words that could encourage us and direct us and train us in righteousness, that you have given us this book of Galatians that we're going through. And I pray, God, that you would accomplish in our hearts exactly what you want to accomplish and that you would do what you've purposed this word for in each person's heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to talk about ways in which man's relationship with God has changed since Jesus' death and resurrection. It's a lot different. To help us to get thinking about these things, and we're going to talk about this as we get into the scripture in just a bit, but to help us to start thinking about these things, I need some help from you. On the screen, there are two words, slave and child. So what I would like you to do is give me, to start with, I want you to give me some similarities between a slave and a child. Think about the ways that your life as a child was similar to that of being a slave. Go ahead, shout them out. I'll try to repeat them so everybody can hear. You had to work? Oh, you still have to work. Obey, okay. You had to obey. You're directed what to do. What else? You belong to somebody, okay. You don't get paid for your work. (laughs) Unless they give you a quarter for something. All right, what else? All right, we'll move on to differences. What's the difference between a slave and a child? child is loved. A child is an heir. Okay. What else? A slave was bought. All right. What else? A child has rights. I suppose in some ways a slave has different rights, but yeah. Okay. What else? A child is a part of the family and a slave's not. Okay. All right, thanks for your help. I think you'll see how this exercise is going to help us as we go and look at what God has for us. So we're going to turn now to Galatians chapter 3. If you remember last week, we stopped at verse 25, and so we're picking up at verse 26 of chapter 3, and we're going to read on through into the first seven verses of chapter 4. Remember the verses and chapter numbers and all that stuff was created years After the letter was written, there were no numbers in the original papyrus or whatever Paul wrote on. It was just a letter, and so the people would read it, and they'd see those things. So if a thought goes over a chapter break, make sure you don't miss that. So we're going to look at verses 26 of chapter 3 through verse 7 of chapter 4. And let me read that. So here we go. We're starting at verse 26 of chapter 3. 
And it says, So in Christ you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. The first verse that I read, verse 26, is the main point of all the verses that follow. So in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. Now remember, he's writing to the church, so this is addressed to those who are actually believers. He's not just saying everybody's a child of God, like we like to say in our culture today. But this is clear that we become sons or daughters of God, children of God, through faith in Jesus. And the following verses are going to go on to explain exactly what that relationship is like. We've already gotten our own ideas about differences and similarities between slaves and children, so let's see what this passage has to say to us. We're going to start in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the estate. And then in verse 2, he says this, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So other people are in charge of your life until you come of age. So the child has this inheritance and owns the whole estate, but it's not completely his. He doesn't get to make decisions about how money's spent. He doesn't get to, to, to say, this is what you need to do. He doesn't get to do all of that stuff. That's the father's realm until... The time comes when the father says, it's time for you to take charge. So the child has to, to obey those that are in charge of him, just as a slave is required to. And this is what Paul means when he says that there's no difference between a child and a slave. Technically, however, there's a great difference, isn't there? The slave will never be able to inherit part of the estate. The child, however, will inherit when he meets the requirements that the father has set or when the time comes. So what does this have to do with the message that Paul is trying to get across to the Galatians? And if we're paying attention to us, why did God put this in the scripture? The relationship that God had with man before he sent his son Jesus to die for us is likened to that of a child who is not yet of age. We were under the basic principles of this world, the elemental spiritual principles, or however it said that. We were just like slaves, bound by duty to meet the requirements of all that God had set out for us. All those rules, remember there's 613 laws 
in the Old Testament. 613. Anybody think they can keep track of all the laws? How many of you think that you break the law? I mean, there's thousands and thousands of laws in the United States and in the state of Kansas. I bet you break a law once in a while. Sometimes knowingly. You know that little white sign that says 65? Yeah, okay. Anyway, they're trying to keep track of all of these laws and all these things. The Jews were made slaves to the law. In order to please God, they had to follow all the rituals and all the sacrifices They had to obey God when they were guilty. They had to sacrifice to make up for that, to to cover over their sin. They were subject to these guardians and trustees. That's what the law was. It was just to, to point them to God and to take care of the sin issue. The Greeks or the Gentiles, remember the Galatian church was a mixed bag. They had Jews and Gentiles in it. They were slaves to their religions as well. They had to be sure that they pleased all of their various gods. They had rituals that they followed. We worry about pleasing God, but can you imagine how they must have felt having so many gods to please? Which one have I missed? Which one's mad at me? Why is this happening? It must be this god. It's hard enough to keep track of one god in 613 commands, Imagine having to please hundreds of gods. And if you remember in the book of Acts, Paul was visiting Athens. And just in case no other god was covering what was taking place, they had an image or a shrine to an unknown god. Because, you know, if I can't cover it with everybody else, maybe I need this unknown god that I'm not sure about. And Paul used that to proclaim the gospel. But they're worrying about pleasing this god. And so they were slaves just as much as the Jews were. Not to the law but to these demonic entities who were ruling over their lives with fear. They were slaves to fear. So to these children who were much like slaves, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, God gives a special gift. The set time came, and God in love sent his son to die for all the sin of all the people of all the world. Jews and Greeks, slaves and free men and women, we saw that at the end of chapter 3, that it's for everybody, and we're all one in Christ because we're all in need of this Savior, aren't we? And so God, in love, sent Jesus, and he freed us. He freed all, no matter what their ethnic background or their social standing or their gender or anything about them. He took away these differences and made all of us the same by making them like sons, or making them sons, coming into their inheritance. And if anyone believed, they were made heirs because of the promise that God made to Abraham, that he would bless all peoples through him. They were given the rights of a son because that is what they had become. So what does this mean for a son of God? And I want to make sure that you understand that the original audience... It was only the sons that inherited things, so being called a son was a, was a good thing. He's not leaving the women out. He's just saying, you're going to get an inheritance, and this is the way that he communicated that. So this is for the ladies, too, who are believers, not just the men. So what does it mean to be a son of God? First of all, it means that you are no longer like a slave bound to ritualism. The Jews were free from the sacrifices and the feasts and all the hundreds of burdensome 
commands. The Gentiles were free from trying to please hundreds of gods because they now knew the one true God, and he made a way for them to be pleasing to him by sending his son to die for their sin. Secondly, it means that you and I have been clothed with Christ. Christ is living within us. He guides us. He gives us the benefits of his death and resurrection, and that comes through the Holy Spirit. Finally, being a son of God means that you have the Holy Spirit in your heart. He gives you the confidence that you are indeed a son. That's what it means when it says that in our hearts the Spirit calls out, Abba, Father. As I said earlier, we were not always children of God. By nature, we were sinners separated from God so that we could not come near to him. We could not be good enough to gain salvation, and so God sent his son, Jesus, to us. And the Spirit of God testifies to that. Now that he's come and we have accepted him and his salvation, we have been adopted by God. We've become sons. We've become daughters of his. And he has brought us into his family and we come in an adopted son. You know anybody that has kids that are adopted? They're just as much a part of the family, legally and in every way, aren't they? And so we've been adopted and it's not like we're sons or like we're daughters. We are children of God. We've been brought into his family. And we cannot lose that sonship because that's what we become. We are God's sons and daughters. We, we can call on him in prayer through the Holy Spirit because he is our father and he wants to hear from his children whom he loves. Those of you whose children never write to you, you know how much he wants to hear from you, right? <laughs> I'm kidding. That's terrible. The Holy Spirit is proof that we are Christians, that we are indeed children of God, and that we are saved. How then should we live? If we're sons and daughters of God, we can have confidence, and we can live without fear. God is not going to reject us. Christ's blood has covered over our sins, and we are heirs of salvation. Because of this, we can do whatever God calls us to do, because we know that he won't leave us out in the cold, he won't abandon us, he won't walk away. Since we have the Spirit, we should follow where he leads, allowing him to change us where we need it, allowing him to control our actions, to give us words to speak, to give us actions to do. And finally, since we are all sons, we are assured of God's love for us, and we can bring our request to him. If we make prayer a duty, we're missing the point. Prayer is just connecting with our Father talking with him, bringing our needs and our requests and our joys and our satisfactions and our dissatisfactions and everything else that we can think of to him. We can confidently come to him because we know that he loves us. Even when everybody else abandons us, even when our husband's acting dumb or our wife is being weird or our kids are dopey, we can say, God, these kids... And he listens. We're sons. We're heirs. We are no longer like slaves, but have been given what God promised. We're made children of God. His power then rests on us and helps us to do what he wants us to do. And we do it because we love our Father. All right. Twice way back in the 1980s, 
some crazy stuff happened at a soccer game. Have you ever noticed that weird things happen at soccer games, like really tragic things? Well, a couple times back in the 1980s, there were deaths at soccer matches. The first time, uh, a bunch of people were trying to get in. They were moving quickly, and some people fell down, and they trampled them to death. Second time, waiting for the gates to open, they squished people up against the fence, and those people died from being suffocated. These are senseless wastes of life, right? How can you be so enthusiastic about a sport that you're willing to trample others in order to see it? I mean, it's all right to like a sports team, to cheer for them, but can't you wait patiently until the gates are open? Zeal is defined as eager interest and enthusiasm, an ardent endeavor or devotion. Zeal is believing in something and doing something about it. It's needed in our lives, but it can also be destructive if it's directed at the wrong things. As Christians, as sons and daughters of God, our zeal should be directed at winning others to Christ, defending our faith, loving the church, loving others in the world, all sorts of good things that we could have zeal for. But so often we get caught up in the wrong causes, causes that may not be pleasing to God, causes that cause division. I don't know if you can remember back to 2020 when all the COVID stuff was just first hitting and and all that kind of stuff. We got divided about all sorts of crazy stuff. Somebody said, oh, it's all made up by the government. Other people were saying, uh, it's, it's a real thing. People are actually dying from this. And then they started the vaccine stuff. And you remember how we used to fight over that stuff? We'd say, well, you should get it, and you shouldn't, and this is why I want to, and this is why you should, and this is why you shouldn't. And we, I'm telling you, on social media, it was difficult to go there. Because friends that I loved said this thing, and others said this thing, and they were not very kind about it sometimes. Be careful in your zeal. Remember that the people who disagree with you are loved by God. So be careful that the things that cause turmoil in your life, the things that cause you to be zealous, make sure that they're what God desires. We sometimes are like Don Quixote, chasing after windmills that we think are giants that are really not giants. Okay, let's make sure that the things that we fight for ardently are the things that really matter and the things that God is fighting for or against. Paul had a lot of trouble with the Galatians because they had a lot of zeal, but were ready to throw themselves at the newest thing that came to town. Now, when Paul came to town, they listened, and he was preaching salvation by grace, and they all believed, and they decided to follow Christ, and Paul worked with them and worked with them and worked with them, and then he left to minister to another place because that's how he operated. He'd come in, he'd start a church, he'd leave, go start a church somewhere else. That's the ministry that God gave to him. Somewhere down the road, news comes back to Paul that these crazy Galatians were being influenced by those in the circumcision group. Paul probably loved the zeal while he was with them, but now he is going crazy trying to figure out how to get them back on track. As we read Galatians 
4, 8 to 20, I think you're going to be able to hear Paul's feelings coming through about the Galatians. So let's start at verse 8 and read through 20. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify, if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us, so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Remember what we talked about earlier, about being sons of God. Before Christ came, we were no different than slaves because we had no hope of inheritance, but now we can talk to him, we've been forgiven, we are adopted into his family, and there's so much more that we could say about that. This had happened to the Galatians, they were no longer slaves, they had believed, they had become sons, but just like the prodigal, they were going back to the father and wanting to be slaves again. These people came in and were telling them that they had to be circumcised, and so they were running off after them. They were being burdened by what the Jews had never been able to carry out. These men were turning them to these ways. They had come after Paul and had seen the same zeal that Paul had seen, and they were now trying to make the believers in Galatia zealous for their cause, or zealous for them, it says. Paul had suffered while he was with the Galatians. He had been sick and preached them. Their hearts had gone out to him so much so that Paul tells them they would have torn their own eyes out if they could have given them to him. Their zeal had helped him in his work, but now it's become a hindrance. Paul then gives them this advice in verse 18. It is fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good. And to be so always, not only when I'm with you. Be zealous for the right things. In his little booklet, Why God Used D.L. Moody, R.A. Torrey writes about the time when he encountered a man who accused him of being zealous without knowledge instead of being zealous for the right things. So listen to what he wrote. God used D.L. Moody because of his consuming passion for the salvation of the lost. Mr. Moody made the resolution shortly after he himself was saved that he would never let 24 hours pass over his head without speaking to at least one person about his soul. 
His was a very busy life, and sometimes he would forget his resolution until the last hour. One night, Mr. Moody was going home from his place of business. It was very late, and it suddenly occurred to him that he had not spoken to a single person that day about accepting Christ. He said to himself, here's a day lost. I have not spoken to anyone, and I shall not see anybody at this late hour. But as he walked up the street, he saw a man standing under a lamppost. The man was a perfect stranger to him, though it turned out afterward that the man knew who Moody was. He stepped up to the stranger and said, are you a Christian? The man replied, that is none of your business, whether I am a Christian or not. If you were not a sort of preacher, I would knock you into the gutter for your impertinence. That's not the response you want, but that's what he got. Mr. Moody said a few earnest words and passed on. The next day, that man called upon one of Mr. Moody's prominent business friends and told him about the incident, complaining, insisting that Moody had too much zeal, not enough knowledge. So the friend, the business friend talked with Moody, and he told him, you're doing more harm than good. He repeated what the man had said. And Moody left this meeting with his business friend somewhat crestfallen. He wondered if he were not doing more harm than good, if he really did have zeal without knowledge. Weeks passed by. One night, Mr. Moody was in bed when he heard a tremendous pounding at his front door. He jumped out of bed and rushed to the door. He opened the door, and there stood that stranger. He said, Mr. Moody, I have not had a good night's sleep since that night you spoke to me under that lamppost, and I have come around at this unearthly hour of the night so that you can tell me how I can be saved. That's zeal for the right things. Paul's advice is still good for us today. It is fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good and to be so always not just when other people are paying attention, not just when Paul's around. Don't just be zealous when people notice, when they applaud. Be zealous always when you work for the Lord. When the Lord gives you something to say, say it with the power of his spirit. Let his message be heard through the Spirit's work. When sharing about what the Lord has done for you, do it enthusiastically. Talk about the joy that God gives to you. When you pray, pray fervently, expecting God to answer your prayers. Be zealous for the right things. Don't worry or fret about all the other little trivial things that could come up. Worry over the condition of the souls of the people around you. Don't worry about your social status or all those things. Some things are worth a fight, some things are not. So be sure to ask yourself, while fighting for this cause or that cause, what is it that's going to make God happy? What is pleasing to him? God cannot bless those who are zealous for things that are against his will. So choose to find his will and be zealous for those things. We need to have zeal. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. Without zeal, we're dead, we're useless to God. Whatever God shows you as his son to do or shows you as his daughter to do, do it with all your heart. Use the zeal that's within you by the Spirit to bring about the salvation of those around you and to be a blessing to his church. Amen? Let's take just a few moments to respond to what God said to us, to allow his Spirit to speak to us, and then we'll close with prayer. Let's just take a moment or two to respond to God.
God, thank you for adopting us into your family, for drawing us to you and, and helping us to put our faith in you. We couldn't have done it without your help. God, help us this week as sons who have come into their inheritance, as daughters who have come into their inheritance to live a zealous life, one full of enthusiasm and, and power through your spirit. God in us, I pray, God, that you would show us how you want to direct that power, how you want to bless others around us. God, help us to be zealous, not only when eyes are upon us, but uh, even in those quiet moments when we're just talking with you. Thank you for wanting a relationship with us, for loving us enough to send Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.